was very warm, thank you. Well, it makes the world go round. It's what the world needs now. It's all you need. It's like an itching in my heart. It's the four-letter word. It's love. And our privilege today is to be able to spend some time dwelling and meditating on the topic of love. It's a profound topic. We know that as Bible believers because from our Bibles we know that God is love. But we know it too as human people. We know by experience really the profound importance of love. We don't always understand it though, do we? We don't always appreciate it. That's true of us. It's certainly true of our world though. There's lots of misunderstandings and confusions out there about love. A couple of weeks ago I came across a bunch of answers that some young kids gave to the question, what does love mean? Let me read you a couple of their answers. What does love mean? According to five-year-old Carl, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) Seven-year-old Noel, love is when you tell a boy you like his shirt and he wears it every day. Uh, Eight-year-old Chris said, Love is when mummy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he's handsomer than Robert Redford. Um, I enjoyed Karen's contribution. When you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. (laughs) It's interesting though, isn't it, that the uh, kids, like most adults sadly, seem to equate love with romance, which is really such a small part of it. Romance is really such a small part of love. Bethany, though, she thought beyond romance and she had this reply. I let my big sister pick on me because my mum says she only picks on me because she loves me. So I pick on my baby sister because I love her. (laughs) But my absolute favourite is this beauty from Rebecca. She said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. That's love indeed, isn't it? And that's the love that's on view in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Although you'll notice that toenails aren't mentioned. You might remember though from last time that the Apostle Paul in these chapters 12, 13 and 14 is addressing the issue of spiritual things. What is genuine Christian spirituality? What, what does the spiritual church look like? And he's writing, remember, to a church eager to have spiritual gifts eager to be spiritual and Paul encourages that but he wants their eagerness to be channeled in the right direction you can see that in that final verse of chapter 12 have a look at chapter 12 and verse 31 where he says look he wants them to be eager for the truly great gifts the problem for the Corinthians and for us is that we misunderstand greatness for them and for us Greatness is so often tied to personal glory, personal status, personal power. And yet we've already seen from chapter 12 last week, haven't we, how misguided that is. That's the way of our world. It ought not to be our way. For we follow the one who came to serve, not to be served. And that's why what Paul writes in chapter 13 is here. It's not a change in topic at all. It's a lesson in greatness. Not greatness according to the world but true greatness, as the Apostle himself puts it at the end there of verse 31, the most excellent way. That's what he wants us to be clear about, the most excellent way. So make sure your Bible's open at 1 Corinthians 13, that'd be great. There's an outline of the talk uh, in the bulletin, and let's pray and ask God to help us 
as we consider this most profound of topics. Let's talk to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Father, that in it you speak to us of such wonderful things as love. And so, Father, we want to pray that we'd be up to it this morning. We'd be up to hearing you and appreciating what you have to say to us. Teach us what is true, Father, and make us more your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Point one in your outline. And the first thing that the Apostle wants, us to, make, wants to make absolutely clear is that when it comes to spirituality and spiritual gifts, love is unnegotiably necessary. Paul makes that point three times in these three verses. Let me read and see if you can spot it. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. It's stunning, really, what the Apostle writes there. Pick any example of anything you like of impressive spirituality, any example of that, whether it be speaking in tongues or prophecy or great faith or expansive generosity or profound theological knowledge or wonderful hospitality or whatever, without love, without love driving it and shaping it and moulding it, it's worthless, Paul says. It's nothing. It's not even as if you could say, well, it just, it's reduced in value. It's something a little less than it could be. No, no, no. Nothing is what he says. No matter what gift I may have, if I don't have love, I am nothing. And it's no good pointing to great sacrifice, pointing to all the things that you've, you've given up. You could give away every single thing you own to the poor. More than that, you could give up your own life. And people might look at you and say, what a great one. What a spiritual But the reality is, the assessment of God is, if there's no love, it's nothing. And you are nothing. And you gain nothing. We need to feel the weight of what the Apostle is teaching us here. Because, you know, it may well be that all all of your work and service and sacrifices that you make within our church family, all the things you do, all the things you contribute, all of your busyness, as impressive and as good and successful as it might seem, it's actually possible that by God's reckoning, it's nothing. And you may be nothing. And you may be gaining nothing. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? A tragic thing. Imagine, imagine surrendering your body to the flames only to gain nothing. Three times in those three verses, we read those three most important words. Have not love. Have not love. Have not love. There's no greatness apart from love. There's there's no anything apart from love. According to the mathematics of God, no matter how many things you add together, if love is absent from the equation, the answer is always zero. Nothing. Love is the absolute necessity. Which, of course, makes it so important, doesn't it, that we understand what love is. And so the Apostle goes on to show us the character of this love that is of absolute necessity. Have a look at verse 4 with me. Love is patient 
Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. They're famous verses, aren't they? Rightly so. You'll hear them at most weddings and that makes sense. But let's remember that these verses are primarily aimed at not married couples but a church family. A church family like this like us, who need to be reminded of the most excellent way when it comes to spirituality and spiritual gifts. That's important to keep in mind. And it's interesting too that you'll notice that love is never defined in these verses, but it is described, not defined, but described. And you notice this description of love is not in terms of feelings or emotions or sentiments, but it's all about behaviours, actions. Love's a doing word. But let's have a closer look. And perhaps as we do, we need to each be asking ourselves, do I have this love? Do I have this love? So in verse 4 we see that love is patient or long-suffering. doesn't easily give up or give in. Love is not short-term. It's for the long haul, even in the midst of opposition. Love will endure even in the face of rejection or insults and it won't endure passively love sort of doesn't hide in the corner in order to avoid hurt no no love actively seeks the good of the other person for love Paul says is kind it shows itself in acts of kindness even in repaying evil notice Paul doesn't say love is nice he says love is kind see love will do the hard thing Love will say the hard word. Love will rebuke as well as encourage, but always out of concern for the good of the other person. For love is kind. Is that you in this church family? Patient? Kind? And love does not envy. It doesn't look at others in a church family begrudgingly, wanting what they have, desiring to have their gifts, their status, their role, their anything. Love doesn't envy. And the opposite side side of the same coin, love doesn't boast. It isn't puffed up. It doesn't brag of what it has or what it can do. It doesn't look down on those who are different as if they are less, less spiritual, less knowledgeable, less virtuous. Love is never arrogant. Love is humble. Love shuns the spotlight, shuns the glory. Love is not proud. Is that you in this church family? Love is not rude. It doesn't act inappropriately towards another person. It doesn't take advantage of another person. Love always works for the good of the other person. For love is not self-seeking. Love is not about me. Love is not consumed with what I I need, what's best for me, what what I want to do. Love doesn't insist on my way. Love doesn't say, look, unless things happen the way I want them to, then I'm out of here. Love is not selfish. 
Love is selfless. Love is other person-centered. Is that you in this church family? I wonder, since you've arrived this morning, have your thoughts been focused on you or on those around you? Have you been seeking your own good or the good of those around you? When you talk to people in this church family, do you ask more than you answer? Do you listen more than you talk? When, when things don't go your way, when there are things about church that you don't like, that you are unhappy about, do you think it through in terms of what's best for the church family? Or do you whinge and whine and complain and undermine? Love is not self-seeking. Love is prepared to give up even what it is entitled to for the sake of others. And love is not easily angered. Love is not touchy. Love is not irritable. Love doesn't have a short fuse that's ready to ignite whenever I'm wronged or slighted. Love is not this facade of calm behind which there is a seething anger at the slightest offence, real or imagined. But what if I'm treated badly, as I surely will be in this church family? Well, what then? Well, love keeps no record of wrongs, Paul says. There's no lingering grievance with love. No festering hurts, no carefully nursed grudges. Love is forgiving. Love is understanding. Love is gracious. Love covers over a multitude of wrongs. Would that be you in this church family? Forgiving? Gracious? Or is there a grudge? A grievance? Anger not dealt with? Resentment? against a particular person or a group of people. Love doesn't delight in evil. Love doesn't gloat over the faults of others. Love doesn't rejoice when another in this church family fails or falls into sin so as to gloat over them and somehow feel good about myself. Love doesn't pursue endless discussions about what's wrong with this church or this person. Love doesn't track down and point out with glee the evil in other people's lives. Not at all. Love rejoices in the truth. Love is stirred and excited with righteousness and goodness and godliness. Love wants to hear of what is right and good and true. Is that you in this church family? Eager to rejoice in the good and the truth? Or there is a sense, or is there a sense in which you sort of can't wait for that next bit of juicy gossip to greedily gobble down? Do you prefer good news or do you really enjoy bad news about someone else? Do you delight in truth or in evil? Look at how Paul sums it up in verse 7. He says, love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. Love always is a constancy to love. It's not seasonal. It's not sort of conditional. It's not off and on. It's not, well, only if this happens. Love puts up with anything. There is nothing love cannot or will not face. Love is constant. Love always. Now those four verses are profound and moving, aren't they? Such an awesome and incredible description of true love. One that the Corinthians needed to desperately hear. For in their boasting and their pride and their pursuit of prestige and spiritual superstardom and in their envy and their anger... Their lack of love, their lovelessness, would render them as nothing. 
For to not have such love as the Apostle has just described in these verses is to achieve nothing, remember, is to gain nothing, is to be nothing. And so it is with us, brothers and sisters. This love that's described in verses 4, 5, 6 and 7 is to be us. It should be that each one of us could could rewrite verses 4, 5, 6 and 7 and replace the word love with our own name. Paul is patient. Paul's kind. Paul doesn't envy. Just take a moment now to read through those four verses and replace the word love with your own name. Just take a moment to do it. Does it ring true? I know we won't be perfect. I know we won't perfectly attain all these characteristics all the time. But is there a resemblance? Is there a resemblance? Does it ring true? Does the, verse, does the portrait these verses paint, does it resemble you? Would people who know you well, would they see the likeness? They're very important questions to be pondering, I reckon. And look, it wouldn't be surprising if, as we've been reading and thinking about these things, it wouldn't be surprising that the Holy Spirit himself may well have been convicting you of where you are falling short, where you are more loveless than loving. You should be thankful for that sort of correction. Only a fool despises discipline and you should be prayerful about it. Because you see, though this portrait should, should strongly resemble every Christian person, there is one, of course, who it describes with crystal clear clarity. Impossible, I would think, to read these verses and not see the Lord Jesus. Patient, kind, not envying, not boasting, not proud, not rude, not self-seeking not easily angered, keeping no record of wrongs, not delighting in evil but rejoicing in truth, always protecting, always trusting, always hoping, always persevering. Is that not Christ? Is that not the Jesus we meet in the Gospels? Is that not the Jesus we see on the cross? It's nothing less than the love of Christ that the Apostle is describing here in these verses. It's nothing less than the love of Christ that is the most excellent way. It's the love of Christ which transforms and transcends our differences in gifts and abilities and services. It's the love of Christ which reveals true greatness. So let me tell you, how wonderful is it that the Spirit of Christ himself dwells in each one of us who belong to Christ? It's fantastic, isn't it? How wonderful that the fruit of the Spirit at work in each one of our lives is love. The very love we read of here. How wonderful that God's promise to us in his word and by his Spirit is that he is conforming us to the very likeness of Jesus. That is an astonishing truth. And so you see, as his children, we must grow up into the portrait before us here. And we pray about those black spots in our life and our thinking and our behaving that betray our lovelessness. And we cry out to God to change us and make us like Jesus. And we determine before him and with his help to put off selfishness and rage and boasting and envy and record keeping and grudges and self-absorption. For it's love we want, isn't it? It's love we want. We want to... We want, to love, we want love to be the driving centre of all that we do and think and say. Just like Jesus. 
We want to be like him. For he, of course, is love. That's why love is so absolutely necessary. And it's also why love is permanent. That's why love is of eternity. And that's where Paul turns to next. Point three, verse eight. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. When I was growing up, I was a Thunderbirds fan. Virgil Tracy was my hero. And so one of my prized possessions was my model Thunderbird 2. In more recent years, Thunderbirds have uh, become, made a bit of a comeback. And so once again, you can get yourself a model of Thunderbird 2. But you know, as good as they look, as good as they feel, there's no comparison really. The new Thunderbird 2 models are more plastic than metal. And even the metal is so much thinner than on my original dinky die, die cast sort of... Uh, uh, model. There's no question as to which one's more valuable. The one that's built to last. My Thunderbird 2 is still going strong 30 years on. I'd show it to you now, but it's back in my mum and dad's place under the bed, ready for our kids to play with when we visit, and maybe me too. <laughs> it's like that though, isn't it? We know that the things that last longer are more valuable than things that don't. And that's Paul's point here, but it's not about Thunderbird 2 models. Love is more valuable, he says, than any particular spiritual gift because there will come a time when they will cease, when they will pass away. But not love. Love's built to last. Love never fails. Love will still be going strong in the far-flung reaches of eternity. Long after prophecies and tongues and healings and all gifts like that have ceased. When's Paul talking about? When when will they cease? He tells us in verse 9. Verse 9, For we know in part... And we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. See, when's the time of ceasing? When will the gifts pass away? He tells us when perfection comes. When Jesus returns and ushers in the new creation. That great day when the imperfect will disappear. On that great day when our transformation into the likeness of Jesus will be complete. The job will be done. And so you see, on that great day, the gifts and services and workings that are distributed by the Spirit now for our growth and our maturity, they'll no longer be needed. Their job will be done. The imperfect will disappear. Perfection will have come. It's a bit like when children grow up into adulthood. That's what Paul goes on to talk about, to compare it to in verse 11. Have a look. Verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man... I put childish ways behind me. Paul says there's a massive change when a child becomes an adult. And as an adult, the things that belong to childhood are left behind. Except maybe Thunderbirds. (laughs) But in the same way, but a billion times bigger, there will be this massive change in us when Jesus gathers us on that great and final day. Check out verse 12. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. See, see now in the imperfect time, now is the time for spiritual gifts. But then, when perfection comes, when we see face to face, when we know fully, then the gifts will cease, they'll pass away, their time will be at an end. Can you hear the Apostle's point here? Knowing, therefore, that spiritual gifts will cease and knowing that love is forever, 
Which is more valuable? Well, it's easy, isn't it? It's love. And yet the Corinthians were so focused on the gifts. The gifts seem to be all they thought about. What gifts do I have? What gifts do you have? Who is more valuable than you or me? Their focus was on the gifts, but they were neglecting love. They were neglecting the very things that eternally last the gifts. They thought the greatest things were the gifts. But that's not right. Verse 13. And now these three remain. Faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. You see, the truly spiritual church, the great church, is a church church shaped and characterized by love. The truly spiritual person is the person shaped and characterized by love. The love that we see in Christ. The love of God. The love that connects us with the age to come. The love that will endure into eternity forever. Without that love... We achieve nothing. We gain nothing. We are nothing. See, brothers and sisters, the Lord God has put before us this morning the most excellent way. The way of Christ. The way of love. Precisely how this most excellent way will help us to think about the greater gifts of the Spirit. That's what Paul goes on to next in chapter 14. Keep reading. We'll come back to it next week. But for today... We need to commit ourselves, don't we? Seriously commit ourselves to heed the call to follow the way of love. To listen to the conviction of the Spirit and the Word. To to be people who pray passionately and longingly to be made like the Lord Jesus. To repent of our lovelessness. To repent of our selfishness to take action to replace our unloving thinking and our unloving behaviour, to replace that with loving thinking and loving behaviour. And perhaps that will mean for you that you need to seek the forgiveness of a brother or a sister in this church family. Perhaps you will need to act kindly to someone who has hurt you. Perhaps... You might need to confess your struggles with these things to a brother or a sister and seek their help in overcoming. Perhaps you'll need to seek the good of someone whom right at this moment you envy. Perhaps we'll need to recommit ourselves to this church family with our our loyalty, our time, our efforts. But whatever it is, let's make sure that love for our brothers and sisters in this church family is our number one priority. Without love, we achieve nothing. We gain nothing. We are nothing. But with love, with love we share in the very character of our Lord and Saviour himself. The one that we will see face to face. What a glorious hope that is. To see Jesus. And because that is our hope, to love like him, will be our absolute goal. How could it be anything less? Anything else? Now these three remain. Faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. How about we pray?